We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent, that from that equal creation, they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Sounds a little different than you were familiar with hearing that, right? That's because that was the original draft that Jefferson wrote and submitted it to what was called the Committee of Five. The Committee of Five edited Jefferson's draft, and their version is the one that survived further edits by the whole Congress intact. And it reads, and you are familiar, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The ongoing and growing problem across the United States and even the world is depression. Yeah, depression. More and more people are depressed or are heading into depression perhaps than ever have existed across the face of the earth. The problem is so big that it led one commentator to say this, everyone is depressed now. It's so big that it seems as if, it seems as though everyone is depressed. The reality is that you don't have a right to be happy Happiness is, in a sense, earned, it's, it's found, it's kind of held onto by the way that you live your life and, and the things that you do in your life and the way that you conduct it. But let me submit, for the Christian, things are a little bit different than the average person, amen? Things are a little bit different for us and, and more profound. Happiness for the Christian isn't the reading of some happiness meter at any given instance in your life. Happiness for the Christian is blessing. It's blessing. It's being blessed. It's living blessed. It's having a blessed life. The, the Bible contains the key to the pursuit of happiness, and if followed, it leads to a surefire life of blessing regardless of the circumstances of your life. Do I have your attention? Would you be interested in that particular key tonight on New Year's Eve? What is it? In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was questioned by a scribe of the law, a lawyer of the day, as to the, what the greatest commandment of the law is. And of course, if you knew, you knew the study there in Mark 12 and also in Matthew 22, you know that it was a trap. It was a trick question. It was a trap. It was uh, the, the, the scribe, the law. You're trying to corner Jesus into somehow contradicting himself or contradicting the law. But Jesus' answer, his answer to the question, directed the scribe and us to the key to the pursuit of happiness and living a truly blessed life. So as we head into 2017, there's no better place in Scripture to end 2016 and to ring in 2017 with than Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. So we're going to head into 2017, and there are really two keys to the pursuit of happiness for the believer. 
If you're taking notes, you can write them down. The first one is this. Keep the Lord the one and only. Keep the Lord the one and only. And number two, love the Lord your God with everything you got. Amen? Keep the Lord the one and only. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. So let's look at our text, Mark 12, beginning at verse 28. It says this. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the greatest commandment, or which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Or as we have come to know it, the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment, right? And so the first part of that, the first part of the answer, you can sum up this way. Keep the Lord the one and only. Keep the Lord the one and only. Jesus here in Mark 12 was asked by a scribe of Israel what was the greatest commandment, what the first commandment was. And in answering the question of what the first and greatest commandment is, Jesus gives the foundation and the, the greatest reality for human life. If you want to really know what life is about for a human being and the, the best possible life for a human being, amen, start with these things. Start with these things that Jesus said right here in Mark chapter 12. They are the greatest things to know. Amen? They're the greatest things to know. They're the greatest things to understand. They're the greatest things to live. And so he takes them back to the book of Deuteronomy. In his quote, in his answer, he takes them back to the book of Deuteronomy to what is called the Shema. In Hebrew, the Shema. What we have here in these two verses, or these verses, the answer... Uh, is what's contained in the Shema and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And what we have contained here are perhaps two of the most important verses of Scripture in all the Bible. We have in these two verses the Shema and the most important commandment, the, bit, the, the first commandment, the most important commandment. This is major stuff. This is big time stuff. This is if you don't know anything else and you know this, you're, you're doing really well. You're doing really well if you don't know anything else, but you know this because this is big stuff. It doesn't get any bigger or more important. And hearing and understanding and obeying these two verses is the absolute key in the pursuit of happiness and living a blessed life as a believer. So what was the answer? The answer there in verse 29, he says, Jesus answered them, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And of course, as I said earlier, this is found, this is actually called the Shema, and it is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It is the key in obeying the Lord and being one of his people, the Shema. What does it say? It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Shema, Yisrael, Yahweh, Elohim, Yahweh, Echad. That's how it would read in the Hebrew. It's interesting that in this declaration of the Shema, the great commandment, the first, the primary commandment, that you have the word one. Hero Israel, Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the word for one there is the word echad in the Hebrew. It means one. And it's, it's not usually, it's not the word, uh, you know, if you were counting one, two, three, four. It's, it's one. It signifies a unity. It has several definitions. Uh, it, it signifies actually a compound unity. Uh, there is another word for one, echad, which is an absolute unity, but here you have echad, which is a compound unity. I stole this illustration, but this is the best way to illustrate it. You have one egg, but you have a shell, you have a yolk, and you have a white, right? You have one egg, though, right? So, but you have this compound unity that makes up the egg. And so you, so you could say the egg is one, um, but really it's, it's this compound unity. And so really... Um, you know, that's kind of the, the understanding of the Shema and the oneness of Yahweh that, that most of us have, and, and it's right on target. I mean, it's absolutely just, you know, right down the middle of the road, straight on, you know, solid exegesis, amen? Um, but let me submit to you that there, there, is a, there are multiple definitions here, and I want to show you how that it's, it's not only that, but, you know, if you, if you get into the study of the, the ancient Hebrew and the ancient Greek, especially uh, as it is written in the Bible, there's just so much weight to each word, and it's, it's an incredible, incredible thing. So I want to present to you with a little nuance to the word ikad and what I, what I believe is also in play in terms of the meaning, not only a compound unity, which would, in that sense, actually go to, uh, you know, perhaps our understanding of the compound unity of the Godhead, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But also, part of the definition of a cod is, is, uh, the, is only, is only or the only one. And so, he's the only one. So, Israel... Yahweh, Elohim, our God, Yahweh is one. He's the only. He's a compound unity, but he's the only one. Amen? Now, you see, an ancient, an ancient Israelite, an ancient person of the Mideast, they were surrounded by people with other gods, people that worshipped other gods, people that served other gods, and, and they were just surrounded by them, and, and they all had a name. They all had names, and, and there was just all, there's a, a myriad of these gods. And so when the Israelite would have heard this Shema, they had come out of Egypt, where you had all the gods of Egypt and just uh, all that, that they had just kind of come out of from the midst of all that. And, and here they are um, with Moses in the desert, and, and here they're, they're, they're getting this proclamation, you know, listen up, Israel. Our God, the Lord, is one. He's, he's a compound unity, but he's the only one. But what about these other gods? Because when you get to the commandments, you get to the commandments, and you have the Ten Commandments, and one of them says, you shall have no other gods before me. So there's, there seems to be something to the idea that 
there's these other gods. They're lesser than Yahweh. They're created divine beings. We know them in the Old Testament as the the angels or the sons of God, those that rebelled. They're the principalities and powers that that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. These are the the principalities and powers that, that, that the world has literally been given over to. And so when Israel is being called out of Egypt and called to once again come into and inhabit the promised land, they're being told that, 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 that Yahweh, Elohim, is, is a compound unity, but he's the only one. He's, he stands alone above all other gods, all other lords, all other beings in, in that sense in any way, shape, or form. Amen? The question is, were these other gods real? Well, Paul, in the New Testament, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is instructing the people about meat sacrifice to idols. You're familiar with the passage where Paul is instructing and giving instruction about meat, um, the meat that had been sacrificed to idols and should a Christian eat that type of meat. Uh, and so in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes into this and look what he says in beginning at verse 4. Uh, if you want to turn over there, you can. I'll also have it on the screen for you. He said this, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that, the, that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. You see, even there, you can, you can almost hear Paul just with the Shema just ringing in the back of his mind as he's, as he, as he's writing this particular passage. But verse 5, he says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, verse 6, there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So what is Paul saying? I mean, if you read this argument about meat being, you know, should a Christian eat meat offered to idols, you're literally just hearing, you know, this, the, the, the ideas that are, that are in, inherent in the Shema. If you, if you look at verse 5, you say, for even if there are so-called gods, and this is actually kind of an unfortunate uh, translation because so-called gods actually would lend you to think that, that they aren't gods at all in any way. There's, there's, there, there, there's, no, there, there's no divine, there's no divinity to these beings, and so they're so-called gods. But the word there actually is named. Even if there are named gods, and the, the, the Israelites were surrounded by all the nations with their named gods, the pantheon. And now in, in Jesus' time, they're surrounded by the pantheon of the Greek gods and the Roman gods. And so he says, even if there are named gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one. So what is the commandment for the person of faith? The commandment for the person of faith is that God is the Lord and he is the one and he is our God. And so it would be for the believer, the true Jew, the true Israelite, 
that there are no other gods, even though there are other divine beings, lesser than Yahweh, created in the heavens. For the believer, there's one God. Because look what he says, verse 6. Yet for us, who's he talking to? He's talking to the believers. He's talking to the church. Yet for us. Yet for us, we're not worried about all that stuff. We're not worried about this God and that God and that God. We have Yahweh God. We have Yahweh Elohim, the Lord our God. And he's our God. He's our Lord. The God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him. For us, there's only one, and we're for him. And this is the heart of the Shema, really, when you get down to it. The hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Keep Yahweh, keep the Lord, keep God our Father, the one and only in your life. Amen? And this is the key. This is the key. God is your one and only. Let me put it a different way. He's your one desire. He's your one desire. There's a song that we sing here from time to time. It was written by Matt Redman. And it's called Here For You. And I just want to read the lyrics to that because it talks about this idea of God being our one desire. He's our one desire. It's not like we have a list of other desires and then we like have this desire. No, he's our, he's our one desire. As if there are no other desires. He's our one desire. This is really the heart of the Shema. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. We are here for you. We are here for you. Let your breath come from heaven and fill our hearts with your life. We are here for you. We are here for you. To you, our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. You alone are holy. Only you are worthy. God, let your fire fall down. And so for the Christian, for us, as Paul would say it, Yet for us, the Lord our God, he's one. And so let's keep Yahweh God. Let's keep him the one and only in our hearts, in our lives. Make Yahweh God your one desire. Just as a side note, real quick, before we move to the last point. Years ago, and I don't really, I'm not, I'm not trying to set this up as kind of, you know, a, a, a critique of the seeker-sensitive movement or the seeker-sensitive church in any way, because it's not really my subject matter for tonight. But one of the backlashes against the seeker-sensitive church movement is that the church, in, in a lot of ways, and again, I, I tread lightly and stroke with a broad brush here, the church has become, in some ways, all about us. All about us. In fact, it was a, there was a, a video ministry that made this video called Me Church. Anyways, if you look it up on the, the internet, YouTube, it's pretty funny. But it, in this movement, the, the church is, is all about us. Church is all about us. It's what we, it, it's what we want, what we like. It's our style. It, 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 it's, it's, it meets my needs, and it meets the needs of my family. And this is the mindset, right, that has just perpetuated deep inside the hearts and minds of, of the American Christian. Let me submit to you that the mindset is backwards. It's got, it's got it 180, 180 degrees backwards. Rather than starting with the premise that this whole thing 
is about God. It's been reversed. This thing is that when it's about, the thing is when it's about God, we don't come in thinking about, wow, this is really meeting my needs. This is really meeting the needs of my family. I really like this style. When we come in and it's about God, we come in from a different perspective, a different mindset. Because why? Because we're serving God and he's our one and only. He's our one and only and there's our one desire. And we come in to the place and we stand in awe and reverence with the people of God. Ready to worship, ready to hear his word, ready to, to serve the almighty God that is our one and only. And this is the mindset that, that, that ends up blessing the heart of God and in turn blessing the heart of the people who come to worship. Because if we, bless, if we bless God and we worship God in spirit and in truth, we have no choice but just to be blessed by the glory of God. Amen? Yes. And, and so we've got it a little backwards. When you come in and it's about God, we come in in awe and reverence and sheer wonder of who he is. And we worship him in spirit and truth, and he blesses us fully. And he does meet our needs, and he does fulfill our lives, and he does all those things that we're looking for. Let me give you a, a, a crazy example of this reversal that's happened in the church. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand, you've been to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, this is, this is one. I mean, I don't know how many different pictures and angles of the Grand Canyon that you can take, but I mean, this is just one that I quickly found. I could have actually pulled up because I've been there, I don't know, two or three times, and it is just an, it's, it's, it's an awesome place. Now, no one goes up to the, to the rim of the Grand Canyon and says, you know what, this place is just, you know, a dump, and this place is not meeting my needs. In fact, I've got to walk all the way over there to the bathrooms, and there's no, there's no snack bar over here, on, by the rim, you know, I got to go walk all the way out to the parking lot and over to this other big building, and then they're going to sell me a drink. This is not meeting my needs. No, no one does that. What people do is they park and they get out of their car and they stand on the edge of that and they stand there and they and they just in awe and wonder at the sight that they are beholding, and there's, and there's, there's almost a hush over over the people because there's an awe and reverence by what every person is witnessing. There's an awe and a wonder. There's an awe and a wonder. Why? Why? Because it's awesome. Because it's awesome. And you can just stand there and you can watch in wonder and amazement and you get to enjoy it. And this is what our experience should be like. And this is what our focus should be like. We're not coming to a place to have our needs met. We're coming to a place to, to stand in awe and reverence and, and to be with God's people and just to take in the experience of experiencing him. Wow. I always, when, when I go to these type of places... And there's another place that's kind of like this. Not, it's, 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 it's in the same league, maybe, but Niagara Falls, right? And, and the reason why I put it in the same league is because I have this experience, whether I'm at the falls or I'm at the canyon. I can't pull myself away. I can't pull myself away from it. I mean, you're standing there going... Are we going now? I mean, how do we leave this? I mean, how do we? Okay, we're leaving. Uh, okay, wonderful. Uh, okay, now we're going back to the car. No, I, I can't pull myself away because it's awesome. Amen? If you want to be fulfilled in this life, fix your life 
toward the Lord. Make your life about him. In your life, be it awe and wonder at him. Make him. Keep Yahweh, your one and only. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one. Number two, love the Lord your God with everything. Love the Lord your God with everything. Next, Jesus does give the greatest commandment or the first commandment. And the commandment, again, is also found in the same passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll go back and read it in Mark, in our main text. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your your mind, and with all your strength. Now, when you understand that God is one Lord, and that he's, he's the one and only, then what you need to do is you need to love the Lord. When you realize he is the one, when he, he is the one and only, you need to love the Lord. And it's the greatest commandment, it's the first commandment. This commandment not only tells us to love God, but it tells us how to love God. Amen? It tells us how to love him. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we realize who he is, that he is the one true living God who made the universe and that he loves us, We will want to love him. When we understand who he is and that he loves us, we will want to love him. And we're to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. When we begin to realize his greatness and his great love with which he loved us, we will love him. If you're having a hard time loving the Lord, then maybe you need to know how great he is and how much he loves you. You need to know how awesome he is in his power and his might and his knowledge and his holiness and his goodness and all of his attributes. You need to know. And when you do, you'll want to love him, I believe. You'll want to love him. And how do you love him? With everything. Amen? With everything that you are. The list of things, heart, soul, mind, and strength is the list of things that make up who you are. Love God with everything that you are. First, Jesus says, quoting from Deuteronomy, love God with all of your heart. Love God with all of your heart. The word here for heart in, in Mark 12 is a Greek word. It's, you're, probably, you're actually going to be familiar with this word in the Greek for heart. It's the word cardia. Cardio, where we get cardio, right? Sandy's here tonight, you know? She's going to get us going on some cardiovascular <laughs> fitness routine. But this is also a cardio that you need to do. Amen? For 2017. You're going to get involved in some of that cardio. You need to get involved in this cardio. Amen? Cardio. Love the Lord with all your cardio. Love the Lord with all your cardio. Tell that, tell that to them at the spin class. The word, cardia, it means the heart, that organ in the animal body, which is the center of the circulation of the blood, and hence was regarded as the seat of physical life. See, so you see where things kind of progress. The heart pumps all the blood to the body, and so it's, it's got to be somehow some seat of great importance in the life of that being. The center part of you, that essence of you, is your heart. Love the Lord with that. That essence... Of, of who you are, love the Lord with all your heart. Let God be the center, at the center, of the center of you. 
can say it that way. Let God be at the center of the center of you. Amen? Let him take over. Let him take over the center of you. And when he takes over, when he takes you over, he's Lord. Amen? He's Lord. And that's loving the Lord. Making him Lord. Loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your cardio. And he rules and reigns in your life. He's your master. This is just touching on each one of these points just very briefly. I mean, you could probably do a four-part series right here, right? This is, could turn into another month of sermons, right? Second, love the Lord your God with all your soul. With all your soul. The word soul is the Greek word psyche. Right? You're familiar with that one. It means soul. So where we get our word for psyche. Psyche, it means the soul, the seed of feelings, desires, affections, aversions, our heart and soul. Our heart and soul. We talk about it like that, right? The, our heart and soul. It was like a piano piece or something. Heart and soul, I don't know. If you couldn't play piano at all, you could play heart and soul, right? I don't know. How many can play heart and soul? The human soul, insofar as it is constituted that by the right use of it, aids offered it by God, it can attain to its highest and secure eternal blessedness. So the idea is when you love him with all your soul, you're offering him this, this seat of your desires, your longings, your feelings, your affections. You say, well, you can't love the Lord with that stuff, right? Well, yes, you can, <laughs> right? Because this is what, this is what Je Jesus is saying. Look, love the Lord with everything that you are. If you've got feelings, love the Lord your God with feelings. Part of the depression sets in when we're feeling bad about ourselves and our situation, when we should be loving God with our psyche so much that our feelings are towards the Lord. Amen? Yeah, that was good. That was really good. When you love someone, there's a feeling, there's an emotion. Now, you don't confuse the love with the, with the emotion or the feeling, but you love that person with feeling, amen? You love that person with emotion. We don't just walk around and go, rah, 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 I love you, honey. No, we, we feel. We feel. We cry, right? We cry. When we love somebody, we cry. On the way here, I was listening. I had Z88.3, which I have to admit I don't listen to a lot because I'm usually listening to, like, podcasts and stuff in my truck. But I had Z88 on, and it was an old song from Stephen Curtis Chapman called Cinderella. And I'm pulling out of my neighborhood, and he's singing, I'm dancing with Cinderella and all this, and she's going to be gone. And, and I don't even have girls. I have boys. <laughs> and I was just caught up in the emotion of just dancing with Cinderella and the, the whole thing, and feeling it. And I was like, man. And, and, and I do have to admit, it made me glad to have boys because I wouldn't want to have to do that. Walk my little girl down the aisle and give her to some other guy? 
I don't ever want to do that. Thank God I don't have to. Amen. Oh, man. Good for you guys if you can do it. Good for you. Christian, you've done it. You've done it three times. <laughs> Once, twice, three times. I gave them away. <laughs> but we love with feeling, right? Don't we? And, and God's saying, hey, love, love the Lord with your soul. And I like that. If you're caught up and your feelings are all crummy, maybe it's a sign. Maybe it's a signal. Just start loving the Lord with all your soul a little bit more. Amen? Well, let's move on. Number three, love the Lord your God with all your mind. With all your mind. The word here is dianoia. Dianoia. With your mind. And it, it is the mind, it's the mind is a faculty of understanding Dianoia is a term used by Plato for a type of thinking, specifically about mathematical and technical subjects. And it is the capacity for process of or the result of discursive thinking. So thinking, you know, stuff, equations, you know, computer code. You can love the Lord your God with like, like that type of stuff. Yeah, because like he created the world and he created this whole world to run and operate like that. I mean, he created the electromagnetic wave. He created the DNA code. He created the, this whole thing. And so, 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 he, so people who've spent their life loving God with all their mind, did you know that most of the scientists of the Renaissance era were Christians and who sought to seek the Lord and to glorify God and discovered the things and unlocked the keys of science. Why? Because they were loving God with all of their mind, the Dianoia. Yeah. Wow. Those great discoveries didn't come out of the atheist world and didn't come out of the pagan world. Those great discoveries of science came out of Christendom and the worship of God. It's fireworks, Amen. <laughs> I timed that. That was right there, loving God with the noise and the DNA and everything. <laughs> Boom! Yeah. You know? <clears throat> now, this is where I think, I think we could step it up in all these areas. Amen? But I think that we could really step it up in this area. Because, you know, what you set your mind to and it's on... Is ends up becoming the things that you do. And, you know, the, I remember when I was at Southeastern Bible College and freshman year, and there was this Southern guy from like Alabama or Georgia. I mean, and I'm talking Southern guy, <laughs> Southern gospel guy, got out of the shower every morning and he would sing, I woke up this morning and my mind. It was stayed on Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> She's right there with me. Yeah. Loving God with all your mind. Oh, I got to read this quote from Spurgeon on this. Amen. This is, this, is, this is Spurgeon on loving God with all your mind. That was fun. Listen to this. It's been said that the proper study of mankind is man. 
I believe that it's equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature of the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity, infinity. Other subjects we can grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise. But he is, a, he is like a, a wild ass's colt and with solemn exclamation, quote, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead and the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Wait, he goes on. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is, so, it is that subject that I invite you this morning. He's preaching, right? I think this is me now. <laughs> so it's going to dumb down a little bit here, right? From Spurgeon. I think... need to step it up in loving him with all of our mind. Amen? I think that there are too many people that stop short in loving God with their minds. They have through some teaching, they, ha they have some, some basic teaching perhaps, some reading of scripture, formed together an elementary conception of who God is, and they've stopped. And the rest of their relationship with God is then based on that limited conception of God. And when this person thinks of God, this is all that he has of God. But God is so much more. It's like watching a TV series that ran for 10 seasons. And you watch the first season and stop there. And think that you've got a handle on the show. There's more to the story. Amen? There's nine more seasons of the show. 
And there's more to God than we know. Amen? There's more to God than we know right now. And there's more than you know of God. There's more, that I know, more than I know of God. Have you stopped loving God with all your mind? Don't ever stop. We can look at each day as an opportunity to learn something about God, about his nature, about his character, and his will. I will find myself, I, perhaps I go overboard in this area and could use some other increase in some other areas. But I tell you, everything that Spurgeon said in that is absolutely true. The most important way we can love God with our minds is through learning his word. And we, li- we live in a time when we have access to the word like no other time in history, in human history. I mean, if you have, you can go on your computer right now and go to BibleGateway.com and you have, I don't know, a hundred translations. You can go on Blue Letter Bible and you have free to your disposal a whole library of commentaries and Greek studies and, and, and all kinds. Go to BibleHub.com. That's an incredible. And you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on a logo software like I did. <laughs> Although that's great. <clears throat> but love him with all your mind. Let me wrap it up. There's one more. Fourthly, we've got to love God with all of our strength, right? The Greek word for strength is the hardest one to pronounce. Echwis, echwis. That's my best, right? It means ability, force, strength, might. You love God with your ability, your force, your might, your strength. Your ability for strength and might would include your body, but not limited to your body. We are to love God with all of our force and might because we, have, we bring a force to what we do physically, right? There's kind of a, in, there's a, there's a, a, a mindset to use our ability. There's a mindset to use our strength, right? And so it would include all of that plus the, physical, the actual use of the physical, to worship God, to love God. We're to love God with all of our force and might and our ability. It's amazing what human beings can do when they set their minds to it. And I'm always amazed at the stories that people who have tremendous setbacks in their life, find an inner strength that they then exert and continue to use what ability that they have for the Lord. Amen? And we're to do this. I want to bring up an example as we kind of move to a close. The example of a guy named Nick Vijaykic. This guy was born with what's called tetraamelia syndrome. You should know what tetra means, right? Four. The tetragrammatron, the four consonants, right? That's the name of God. 
Tetra Amelia syndrome. He was born without any limbs. This is, exa- this is exactly how he was born, with a head and a torso and like, like a foot type of a thing that he has. I would think that this guy would have every reason to just throw a big pity party for himself and just do nothing and just whatever. But God got a hold of his life. God saved him. He came to Christ. And he's gotten involved in just doing everything that he can for the Lord. He goes around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and leading people to faith in Christ. And he hasn't let his disability stop him. He hasn't let the fact that he was born with no arms, no hands, and no feet stop him. He just goes and goes and goes, and he does everything. This guy does everything. He preaches in front of, he's preached the Harvest Crusade with with Greg Laurie. He does everything. He's married. He's got a child. Put the next picture up there. Here he is surfing with Bethany Hamilton. And she doesn't have her arm because it was bitten off by a shark. And they're both loving the Lord with everything they got left. Amen? With everything that they've got left, loving the Lord their God. With everything, with every force, with every ability, with every strength, with, with every physical thing that they've got, to their dying breath, giving it all for Christ. Amen? And you just got to love the Lord like that. Amen? And that's how we've got to... And so what, what I wanted to do tonight is just honestly kind of fire you up for 2017 kind of just fire you up in the most important thing that we could be fired up about. Amen? Because it's the key to life in the pursuit of happiness. But really, happiness for the Christian is a thing called blessed. Amen? It's a thing called blessed. Because if you do this, what we've talked about tonight, you're just worshiping God wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And blessed are they that dwell in your house, for they will still be praising you. 